Hello, 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 everyone, and welcome back to the Dynasty Wonderland podcast. With me, your host of the Mad Chatter, Ryan MK, and right by my side, as always, the March Heron, Aaron Stewart. How are we doing today, buddy? All doing good, man. This is the way to end a Monday, that's for sure. Oh, fucking right. Fucking right. Especially, it's a, it's a cold Monday here. Getting a little snow here in the Denver area, <laughs> which actually in this area not all that uncommon to get a little bit of snow around mother's day so not surprising but another good thing about denver it'll be gone before we know it this shit melts right away most of the time so so we're good a little cold but good all right all right all right and don't forget to follow us on the twitters at rmk madness at aarons209 and of course our podcast account at dw underscore pod now hope everyone's had a good weekend Aaron, you as well i know me i got a lot of writing done which was nice don't forget to check out Aaron and i's writing on playerprofiler.com of course and i got a lot of mario party in we we got a little switch action going on and uh man we used to play the shit out of the wife and i the GameCube Mario parties and 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 we just loved the hell out of it and we got the Wii. I got a used one. Didn't last very long before it broke, so I didn't get to enjoy it that much. But we had one of the Mario parties on that. But uh, man, the Switch Mario Party, we love some Mario Party, and the kids are all getting super getting into it. And you were saying you love you some Switch action as well. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. So currently my switch is with my nieces there because they utilize it a whole lot more than me. And I bought the the new Pokemon Snap, which just that's trip down memory lane, right? Oh, the N64. And, and it's really cool to see the graphics on this and just to see a whole new generation of Pokemon fans. My nieces take to it like, I don't know, like fish and water there they they love it and i love just watching them and and then we get in a competition we see who can take the best pictures you know and i'm not gonna let them win (laughs) right dude my lot my wife loves the 64 pokemon snap we own it she fucking loves that game so i'm gonna have to surprise her with the new version definitely because that's a, that's a good one. Wish I would have known about that before Mother's Day. That would have been great for Mother's Day. Anyway, <laughs> so and happy Mother's Day to any mothers listening. That was that just happened as well. And w- most of us got moms somewhere. I mean, all of us got moms, I guess, right? You <laughs> 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 got to take all care of those got- moms too. Yep. Sometimes we've even got like adopted moms, you know, the moms of our of our best friends that also basically raised us as well. So, yeah, right. thank you, moms, for putting up with all of us. Yes, crazy ass children. They can be difficult. One day, <laughs> my kids will very much appreciate their mother for what she's put up. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> before we really get into the football, wanted to bring up the NBA and NHL playoffs again because we're very close and. The NBA is doing something. See, 2020 was cool uh, uh, in the respect. That sounds terrible to start, but in the respect for sports that it it kind of made everybody try some new shit, do things a little bit differently. And um, it's kind of nice to see leagues trying to maintain and, and some of that and trying to change 
you know, and, and just go away from some of the norm. And there's some mixed responses to what the NBA is doing here with their playing tournament. Uh, apparently LeBron James isn't happy about it, but it sounds kind of cool to me. I mean, it sounds like, okay, you got the seven and the seventh and the eighth seed are going to play each other. Whoever wins gets that seventh seed locked in. And then the nine and the 10 seeds play each other. Whoever loses is out and the winner will play this, the, the loser of the seven, eight matchup. If this makes any sense, if I'm explaining it right. <laughs> and eventually you're going to get to the seventh and eighth seed. And I think it's a cool idea. LeBron James doesn't like it because the Lakers are currently sitting in seventh place, place in the West. And I, I don't really care because just one second. I got a little beef with the King. I always have. I brought him up on my other podcast, the Miscellaneous Debris Podcast. Shameless plug right there. And don't also shameless plug. Don't forget to check out my new little skit show, Crazy Shit About Space. Check that out. Just, just me talking space because I love to talk space. But I digress. LeBron James. I, I used to just, when he joined the Heat, I had just this this anger towards him about just the way he did it and all this. And I'm like making it such a show. And then over time I get, I, I, I let it go. And I was like, yeah, did just let the dudes do whatever they want to do. And he went to Cleveland and brought his hometown a championship. And I was like, okay, all right, LeBron, we got some respect for you. But then, you, you know, for being such an advocate of, you know, people lower on the totem pole, I guess I would say, the whole thing with the Rockets GM, Daryl Morey, when he was speaking about Hong Kong and basically LeBron James kind of like, shut up, because why? Because the NBA, I mean, they make a lot of money from China. <laughs> and so they didn't really exactly want to ruffle the feathers of China. And to me, I just didn't like that. If you're going to fight for equality, for people's rights, you got to do that shit all around, Right. And so that then I kind of once again lost my respect. So I have a little bit of, of a beef, a lo- love hate with LeBron. But I, I'm going to tell you what, regardless, I'm going to check out Space Jam, too, because it looks fucking sweet. And <laughs> and I loved the first one. And this one looks crazy because it sounds like they go through the Warner Brothers dimensions. So we we're, I think we're going to see more than Looney Tunes, but it's going to be a lot of fun. But anyway. I just wanted to get that out about LeBron. But Aaron, what say you about this play-in tournament? Because I, I disagree with LeBron. I think this is a great idea. Yeah, and one of the things I'll say that the NBA has always been great about is, like, baseball has kind of been a dying sport, you know, for younger right. generations. Right? Like, They're resistant to because, change. Right, right. It's very, it, this is the way we do things, and it's tradition. And I will give basketball the NBA credit that they've always tried to do things differently and try to try to catch on with younger audiences uh, as well and and growing up I was a huge NBA fan I'm a I'm a massive San Antonio Spurs fan I live in Northeast Texas like I should be a Mavericks fan but I'm a Spurs fan I love Tim Duncan favorite player all time like so underrated so good and we talk about LeBron James my favorite my favorite story was when the 2014 San Antonio Spurs teams just stomped LeBron James in the Miami Heat. It was a five-game series. It wasn't close at all. We Is were that the series LeBron where he James. had cramps. Yes, that he had series? cramps. Okay. 
he had cramps a little backstory on that one is the spurs and heat played in the finals the year before we were up three games to two it was game six like they were already the spurs were up like five points i think with less than 30 seconds like they were already preparing to bring like to prepare the locker rooms for champagne and everything like the spurs are gonna win and then all what we know happens is Chris Bosch gets a rebound, Ray Allen, three-pointer, dagger. They force a game seven. They win. Just devastating. Like, that was, mm. like, that I couldn't believe it. I was just demoralized. I was like, this is the last time I'll see my first team, like, ever in the NBA Finals. Next year, it's the rematch. And it was it was so, it was so amazing just to get that revenge where we're like, you might have barely gotten by and beat us seven games. And we just, we curb stopped in it from from the first game there and they had no answer for Boris Diaw, this overweight Frenchman. That was our LeBron James stopper and the ball movement. Like that's something, I think that's why I've started to like the NBA less and less is it's isolation basketball. It's not fun to watch. I just, I love the, the Spurs. What they do is if a guy got the ball, he would dribble twice and already pass the ball. If someone had a wide open shot, they would find someone that had an, an even better shot. Just the ball movement. Every single player touched the ball before someone shoots the ball. They didn't care if Duncan led the team in scoring, a young Kawhi Leonard led the team in scoring. It was just beautiful basketball. And with LeBron as a basketball player, I acknowledge like he's he's the greatest player, right? Like he's if God was to build a basketball player build LeBron James I hate his shenanigans like off the court I can't stand it it's he's not always the most likable guy and yeah like the the China thing left a pretty bad taste in my mouth it's like come on like you have the platform to stand up for for this but uh, you know money talks apparently and I'd say in recent years I just I I kind of follow my Spurs, but the rest of the NBA, I don't. I feel you. I feel you. I uh, kind of like with football, I had my period of time where I got out of sports, but very as a young child, I was a Nuggets fan, obviously, living in Denver. And then when I got back into sports, being in Iowa, Midwest, you know, I kind of, because I was liking the Vikings, kind of rooted for the Timberwolves, but I, I, I kind of just rooted for players. Like I did enjoy the Timberwolves at that time, Kevin Garnett. Um, and I really enjoyed the Mavericks because I liked Dirk. I fucking loved Dirk. And, um, <laughs> and it was, I just, oh, and there was a period of time where I loved the Sacramento Kings back in the day when they used to have those battles with the Lakers because I couldn't root for the Lakers fucking hated the Lakers. And so I kind of latched on because I was a big, I I liked watching Mike Bibby in college when he played for Arizona. So I kind of you know, got attached to Sacramento because of Bibby him and is always sitting on the sideline, clipping his fucking fingernails. (laughs) And, (laughs) And I just, I love the shit out of that dude. And like the Spurs, man, they would always get me because the teams I would root for, you know, a lot of times they would lose to the Spurs, but I could never hate the Spurs like I hated the Lakers, you know, and and, and some of the other teams. Like, I I just like, because how do you hate like a Tim Duncan and a Kawhi? They just like quiet dudes that just go do their thing and they just go to work, go play ball. And like, how do you hate 
Tony Parker, Janope, like, how do you hate those guys? <laughs> and, <laughs> and as a team, they played so beautifully to get, like, it, it was a hard team, even though they got you and the, it, you irritated because they were so good and always winning, but you just couldn't hate them in the same way as you could with the Lakers with Shaq and Kobe. And it, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. so yeah, I, I actually, I, I had a lot of, as, as many times as they broke my heart, the Spurs, I, I had a lot of respect for them as a team, Popovich, I mean, not just as a basketball coach, but the way he speaks out about, you know, social injustice and equality, like he's on that shit all the time. Like, Mm -hmm. and, you know, I just respect the hell out of that place. And, and, and they're always going to be like one of the tops in the NBA, just because of that run and Popovich and everything like the Spurs are the shit, man. The Spurs are the shit. They're not doing so good right now. They're not so much the shit right now, but <laughs> it's this awkward period where they should be like full on. They like years ago when they lost Kawhi, they should have tried. They should have started the rebuild, but they were still kind of wanting to compete. And we know how that goes. If right. like in dynasty leagues, you're either contending or you're rebuilding. You shouldn't stay in the middle, and that's what the Spurs did for the three years. <laughs> well, I I think they thought they'd get more from Lamarcus Aldridge than they did. I thought they, I don't think they felt like he'd be like a substitute for Duncan, but I thought they'd be able to kind of use him in the same vein. And he just kind of, I mean, I, I was, I never thought he was like the greatest player, but I certainly thought he was better than what he showed after he went to San Antonio. Cause he did not look good in San Antonio. Aldridge. Some of that's age. And some of that yeah. was, it took him a long time. Like if he would have just moved to center, he could have been okay, but he was, with age, he was he was slow and it hurt him on defense. And then we were just like the NBA has changed so much. It's more perimeter oriented. And when you got Aldridge out there with another seven footer that can't really space the floor, like it, it kills you. And about the time he made the change, it was too late. And you know, at this point, we just we hope that he just has good health. I know he was forced to retire um, because he had a he had a heart condition, and it's like, man, you hate to see a player go out that way. But just glad that they caught that before it became an even bigger issue. Right, right, for sure. Yeah, that you know, the NBA is different now than it used to be. Guys like Aldridge, you know, they're not as valuable. Um, but I'm okay with that. A lot of people don't like it, but I, I kind of like the explosion of, of the three point shooters and the, because really one of my favorite things in sports is a comeback and man, you get in some of these games where, you know, being down seven points with like 40 seconds left, that ain't much anymore. Like you can come back from that. That's one thing I've always loved about hockey is you could have like a, a minute left in the game, less than a minute. And it could be a three to one game. And literally in like 15 seconds, it can be tied. Like I've seen the craziest shit in hockey. <laughs> it, it's, it's my number two sport. And, and so I kind of like that with basketball, it just makes it, I think a little bit crazier. And, and, it, you know, and a lot of guys coming up now are starting to, you know, Hey, got to have kind of some, some sense of a three point shot. Right. So it's, it, it is getting uh different um it's not for everybody it would seem but i enjoy it and i'm interested to see how this playing tournament goes absolutely all right buddy so we move on to the nfl news not a ton not a ton to get to but we begin 
with Tim fucking Tebow. <sighs> okay, I I I gotta even put my joint down. Uh, I just I just I got a few things about this because number one, Aaron. But how is it so easy for him to come in and get a job? I mean, I get Urban Meyer, but it's like, dude, where you been? You'd have been off playing baseball and shit. And like, I, I just, I, 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 it feels like it's taking opportunity. I mean, now don't get me wrong. It, I mean, coaches are going to do what they're going to do. If they really feel like he's worth a shot, then who am I to tell Urban Meyer no? But to me, this seems ridiculous. And I'm just, you know, we've talked about Aaron, me and my issue with people, the extreme, going to extremes in any length. And Tim Tebow goes around and basically tells people, believe in Jesus or you'll go to hell. Like, I've seen him like, like I, I'm sorry, but if this dude walked up to my kid and said, you must believe in Jesus or you'll go to hell. Like I'm punching him in his face. Like, <laughs> like, like I, so I just, I don't like that. But to each their own, not going to get in a big discussion. But it just, that I have little things that I'm, I'm, I'm just, I don't feel like he's the best dude, despite, uh, you know, the image he tries to portray. And now he's sneaking in there on the Jacksonville Jaguars. And hey, I mean, it's not, I mean, he hasn't played football in a while, but it's not like he's done nothing. I mean, he has been doing the baseball, so he surely kept in shape. And, but now he's trying to play tight end. I mean, to me, I'm like, hey, shit, for all I know, maybe he'll be able to do it. But to me, this all just seems stupid. And Tim fucking Tebow. And I just can't believe after all this time, he's back. He's fucking back. And I just can't believe it, Aaron. And I just want to just, just, I, I just, I, I don't know, Aaron. I don't know what I want to do. It's scary. It's scary, Aaron, because, okay, I'm done. Please, Aaron, your thoughts. You know, there, there was something, and I can't remember where I heard this from, but it'd be an I, intriguing thing, is that maybe instead of it being like, I mean, maybe he makes the team as a tight end, but I was hearing that maybe they get him in there and they go through training camp and Tebow, he's getting up there in terms of an athlete. He's 33 years old. He'll turn what 30, 34. Um, man, like we know that we've seen players go from one position to tight end and have success. And even mm. recently we've seen Logan Thomas go from quarterback to tight end that, that took some years. Um, the number one thing is athleticism. And that was always like way back in the day when, when Tebow, when Tebow mania was a thing is they, they went, if you want to last in the NFL, it's not going to be as a quarterback. They wanted them to play tight end. And right. it's weird. Like that was back in the early 2010s. So it's, mm. it is interesting. Like why in 2021 finally make the, the jump. But I think some of it is just, he wants to at least go, at least I tried I don't think he's right. guaranteed a spot there. And if not, like it could be something to watch where it transitions from him trying to make the team as a tight end to maybe being an assistant coach on Urban Meyer's staff. Mm -hmm. There's someone that knows an Urban Meyer offense, It'd certainly be Tim Tebow, which like if you go to Wikipedia and you pull up you know, on the right side is the career highlights and awards. Oh my goodness. <laughs> like, you sometimes forget how good a 
a collegiate football player he was. Um, so it's, it's interesting. I am kind of with you in terms of you only have 90 roster spots. Mm. And I get that the tight end position for Jacksonville, there's not a lot there. There really right. isn't. But why go with the player that, I mean, does he even make it through training camp with, and yes, he's been playing baseball, but that's not the same as football shape. It's, you know, jumping from any sport to another sport is a difficult transition. Right. Like why that when you could, you could sign any of these undrafted guys, which <laughs> a little foreshadowing, that's what we'll be talking about today. Like why waste a roster spot on a player that might play one more year like i don't know it doesn't make a lot of sense it seems to be more of a the more that urban meyer makes decisions for the jaguars the more i'm like oh you poor jaguar fans like this is going to be a horrible rebuild it really is it does not focusing on the right things so no i (sighs) I feel like and people can say it's love for james robinson or whatever and and I, I, i always have a little bit of a piece of him in my heart just because he was the guy in my undrafted article, uh, undrafted free agent article, my first one. We'll talk about my second one later. My first one, he, he was the one that truly, truly did something special. And so got a little love for him. But it's also when you got that back on that contract, why the fuck are you taking one in the first round? That's that seems poor team management. I, I, I just not that I'm, I know everything, but t- 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 I'm with you. It, it, it's, it seems, uh, I don't know. We'll see what happens. But uh, it's poor Jaguar I, I, fans, if you guys exist, I, I don't know. Like Jacksonville doesn't like the Jaguars because they're trying to move the team to London. And so oh, for you few Jaguar fans. The London there, Jaguars with urban fucking Maya. <laughs> the all elite Jaguars. Right. <laughs> we move on. From fucking Tim Tebow to DK Metcalf. I wanted to bring him up just because he was in the uh, USA TF track and field, uh, the Golden Games, and he ran a 10.36 meter dash and finished 15th o- overall in, in, in at the event, ninth in his heat. So, I mean, for a football player to just go do that thing, that's pretty fucking impressive. <laughs> Absolutely. And that's something that, um, I, I mean, people are ragging on him for finishing 15th place. So it's like, are you kidding me? This is, this guy's a freak. This guy is a physical freak. <laughs> right. Most As you of the mentioned, people... you could just go do it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Because you got to figure most of the people that are in the, the, you, United States of America track and field golden games. Most of those people have been training for this track and field shit all year round, right? It is what you got to figure. And DK Metcalf probably trained for it a little bit, went out there, placed 15th. <laughs> I mean, to me, the, I, I find it impressive what he did. Um, for not being his thing to just go out there and just rely basically on his athleticism and whatnot <laughs> and his feet and just there you go bam finish 15 i think it's pretty impressive so i'm with you mr aaron the colts have signed eric fisher 
Does this do anything for you? Does this boost the Colts' offensive line? I mean, it's the biggest complaint that people had with the Colts' offseason is they're like, they didn't do anything at left tackle. They're like, they went into the draft, they didn't take a left tackle. And, right. and the Colts is a team that I follow pretty closely. I, I like Chris Ballard. I like what he does. And mm. his approach to the draft is like, they don't, they don't draft for need. Like they, they know that's not how you build a strong roster. And it just so happened that the draft board, the way it shaked, shaked out is that, you know, yes, they could have grabbed a tackle. They would have reached. They liked, they liked the defensive ends that they got. Um, mm. They got Quiddy Pay. That was a guy they were really high on. And then the second round, I hope I pronounced it right, Deo Odeyingbo. <laughs> but people are like, oh, they didn't get a left tackle. They're going to be trash. And, you know, they had signed some veterans. They had Sam Tevy, Julian Davenport. Those are guys that have been around about four or five years, have got a handful of starts um, mm. in their career, but are clearly not like the guys you feel comfortable with starting at left tackle. But people, they're like, oh, they didn't draft a guy. They're, they didn't address the position. It's like, well, besides Fisher, they also there was also Charles Leno, who had five straight seasons. The past five seasons, he hasn't missed a start, not just a game, a start at left tackle. There was Russell Okung, um, hmm. the longtime Seattle guy that I want to say played in Carolina last year. He, he dealt with some injuries uh, last year, but 11 years experience. Um, and then a guy that, that I thought was a dark horse to join Philadelphia, or sorry, Indianapolis, was a Phil, former Philadelphia player, Jason Peters. Mm. 17 years experience, 12, 12 in Philly, in which you know he played with Carson Wentz and um, Frank Reich. And so I was like, yeah, they, there was options to at right. least be the, the starter for a year. Um, I think Fisher was was the best. And the key thing will be, how quickly and come back he did rupture his achilles late in in the season it was playoffs it was the afc championship game yeah. um, but as they mentioned uh the colts talked about that they were they were asked like you know do they have any worries and their their main thing is they said they're not going to rush them they know it's a 17 game season so they're taking into account the additional game and it may be that let's say a quarter of the season they they're working with Sam Tevy is it ideal no but like at least like when you're kind of sorting things out and getting some important reps for what's probably going to be your your swing tackle um then you bring Eric Fisher who's hopefully healthy at that time that's going to be an upgrade and the rest of the offensive line so dang good um and if anything Quentin Nelson could he could slide out to left tackle there's I think that's something that people haven't even talked about is that maybe if Fisher's not a hundred percent and can't start from day one, maybe Nelson slides out to left tackle um, to shore up the most important offensive line position. So I think it's kind of been overstated the, the Colts lack of, uh, of a left tackle. It's not that they haven't done anything and then mm-hmm. Fisher is going to be just perfect veteran guy that, you know, for what, eight seasons in Kansas city, uh, you know, it started off being a bust, but kind of worked this way into being a solid, if not unspectacular, left tackle option. And with the rest of the other four guys there, right. it's really all they need. It's just right. solid. I like it. I like it. I'm kind of hoping to see uh, some good stuff um, from the Colts this year. Just I'm not a big Wentz guy, but I'd like to see, you know, I'd, I'd like to see um, the haters back off of them a little bit, I yeah. guess. You know, absolutely. Um, and then 
just a little bit on the A-Rod Packers drama. Uh, from everything I've read, it would seem Mr. Rogers is entrenched in his position. The Packers, uh, they believe somehow they can uh, make amends and whatnot, and this can happen. But um, with Aaron Rodgers basically telling people, uh, the free agents not to go there because he's not coming back all this stuff. I mean, sounds like it'll be pretty damn hard to talk him into come back, coming back and playing. And it does sound like, per reports, that Green Bay was indeed looking at some quarterbacks both in the draft and in free agency. So is that part of why they want to keep Aaron Rodgers? Because they maybe think, uh-oh. Maybe we were wrong on Jordan Love. What's going on there? And then also it appears that uh, the Denver Broncos would be sitting there waiting for such a conversation to be had about a trade for Mr. Aaron Rodgers, uh, almost like dogs just just drooling, waiting for that big slab of meat, you know, just in there drooling. They're ready to make him, I'm sure in part to get the quarterback, yes, but also so they don't look like fools for not taking Justin Fields and number nine. So, March Heron, what make you of all this Aaron Rodgers Packers drama? Yeah, I'm just ready for it to be over. It's, I mean, this has been a I agree. story. I agree. Yeah, I mean, this Packers Aaron Rodgers stuff has been years, years, and it's just there's fatigue. It's it's like <laughs> observing it. It's it's either kiss and make up already or break up. Like let's just get it over with. And I'm I'm with you. It's <laughs> it, it goes to show just how I mean it's kind of deja vu if uh, if anything for Packers fans. I mean this this was exactly what oh, yeah. happened when. When they did when they drafted Aaron Rodgers, so um, you you almost feel bad for Packers fans until you realize it's like yeah they they went from Brett Favre straight to Aaron Rodgers straight to we'll, we'll see with Jordan Love, but uh, you know another first round pick quarterback, and if you're taking a guy in the first round, you better believe in him. And and we saw that Rodgers sitting for a few years that that helped him. Mm -hmm. um, NFL has changed. You don't you, you don't really get that luxury anymore, especially because right. teams know that that a quarterback on a rookie contract that's your time to like go for it and win mm. now because you can afford to pay more money on all the other positions. So it's messy. I'm just ready for it to be over with. <laughs> it's just fatigued by it, honestly. I agree. I agree. I'll try not to bring it up next week or at least, <laughs> or at least I'm just waiting for something to happen because part of it is I, I feel like Denver has to know something like they, they just, they, I, I, they cannot have been that stupid, but also, you, you know, I would like to see Rogers somewhere else. I mean, I'm, I'm not going to sit here and feel bad for him or the Packers and their fans, but I do feel like Aaron Rodgers. It, has been one of the greatest and I do feel as though that organization hasn't done quite enough to help him win I guess and so it would be nice <laughs> to see him go to somewhere like a Denver where he can step up and there's an improved defense and all these offensive weapons and where he can just go do his thing you know and <clears throat> 
something like that to see him be able to do would be great because it does feel like just the the team has kind of hampered his greatness a little bit um, in some occasions. So that's how I kind of feel about the whole thing. But I'm with you. Let's get this shit over with. (laughs) Anything else, Aaron? Um, no, uh, no, no, you're over it. You're done. <laughs> just ready for the trade. Like when there's a trade and we got something exciting to talk about it. Yes. Until then it's like, Oh my goodness. It, they talk about it every day. <laughs> right. Yep. We'll let it go. We'll pack it up and wait for something to actually fucking happen. I'm kind of expecting not to hear anything. If something does happen, I imagine it's going to be after June 1st, right? It's a more yep. likely scenario. So might as well sit and wait on it for a few weeks and see what happens. All right, take a quick break. We come back and talk a little strategy for your rookie drafts. Be right back. All right, the chatter, the heron, we're back. Back to chat some draft strategy for those rookie drafts that everybody's doing now. And we're going to let Aaron begin, have him get into, and I figure this is a dynasty podcast. So we're mainly talking dynasty. We can get into a little redraft at the end, but mainly let's talk a little bit about how just your standard dynasty league, whether it be one quarterback or super flex, you can kind of go with both just, but your standard you know, 12 to 14 team, where are you at when it comes to rookie drafts in general this year? Give me anything you got pertaining to this time of year and how you approach things. Certainly. Well, this point of the year, I've already completed some rookie drafts. I've done some mock drafts with, with people that know their stuff. So I got a pretty good feel for the board. And, and the number one thing for dynasty drafts is don't draft for need. Your needs are going to change so quickly from year to year. And you're going to look back on drafts like two, three years from now, and you go, why the hell did I take this player, the much inferior prospect, to a superior player? And I'm guilty. I've done that. I've done that in the past, and I just left kicking myself. So even if it, even if it's a position of strength, like draft the best prospect and taking this year as an example, like, it's no secret here that the running back class sucks. Like if you're not grabbing one of the big three, Najee, Travis Etienne, and Javante Williams, don't reach for these next guys. Like, yes, we're seeing Trey Sermon go in the first round in 12-team drafts. What the hell are you thinking? Insanity. Don't do that with Michael Carter. I know, it's insane. Like these guys, they're, they're not – this isn't last year's rookie class where there was like six great running backs. Like after the big three – I'm fading the, the running backs till the end of the drafts. Like, don't give me Michael Carter and Trey Sermon over a Rondell Moore and Elijah Moore. Right. Heck, even a Terrace Marshall. Like, you're just you're you're gonna regret it because yep. more than likely those those two running backs they're not gonna hit. And if they do, okay, but they're not gonna be game changers. I'd rather wait till the end of the draft, round four, round five, however many rounds your draft is. Look at some of the running backs you can get there. Jared mm-hmm. Dokes, a big old boy that's going to Miami where there's Gaskin and that's it. There's Javion Hawkins. We're not going to talk too much about him right now, but even though he was undrafted, 
he went, he finds himself in a good spot in, in Atlanta. Jamar Jefferson, yes, he fell down the draft board all the way to the seventh round of the NFL draft, but he still has a good profile. And, and that's that's a guy that in Detroit, they just got rid of carry on Johnson. Right. Maybe it's because they got Jamar Jefferson. Chris Evans and and Kine Nwangwu, like those are those are very explosive, uh, great athletes at the running back position. Those are the types of guys that you want to target at the end of your draft, guys that have athleticism. And that, mm-hmm. that athleticism is what can propel them to fantasy success. So stop drafting running backs round two and round three of this year in particular, because there isn't guys to target there. What say you, Ryan? You what what's been kind of your advice with with rookies? Well, see, normally when it comes to rookie, if it if it's super flex, I'm gonna try and hit a top quarterback if I can. Unless this is kind of a situation where I do see need coming into play because especially if I'm in the middle of the draft or later on in the first round, no need to try and trade up, do anything crazy. If I'm set for a top quarterback, if I'm set at quarterback, stay where I'm at, take a different position. Um, But ideally that's what I want to do because I want young quarterbacks, but I also want young running backs. Okay. And this is no matter what draft I'm doing, I will, except for redraft leagues, but when it comes to dynasty, whether it's super flex, regular, I want the young running backs because as we've talked about in previous episodes, I am someone who definitely, definitely likes to cycle those running backs and, and, and just, just keep the fresh ones coming in. And after you've had them for a few years, get them out of there, trade them away. Better a year early than a year too late. So I like to attack the young running backs. This year, I can't can't agree with you anymore. It's those top three guys or nothing. Or wait till the end of the rookie draft and try and grab one of the names you said. There's some very solid guys that you can take a chance on at the end of the draft. These other guys are not worth... I've seen Michael Carter go like early second. I'm like, what the fuck is going on here? Like, it just doesn't, it just doesn't make any sense. But on the other hand... By all means, go ahead. <laughs> You're just leaving the good players for the smart people. So that, that's kind of where I land because my thing is, is, it, is if I can get my hand, hands on some solid rookie receivers, sure. But with receiver, I'm much more likely to, if you look at di- di- my dynasty rosters that I've had for two or three years, you'll see a lot of young running backs, young quarterbacks, And then you'll see tight ends and receivers that are a little more established, a little bit older, maybe mid to late 20s, you know, kind of in their primes, right? And that's kind of how I like to do, because those receivers are going to be usable a lot. Usable is a terrible way to say that. You're going to be able to rely upon them a lot longer than you will running backs. So keep those running backs young. And you really, if you're not getting a lot of rookie, rookie receivers, that's okay. Because at some point you're going to have running backs that you're going to be able to trade and you're going to target like a DJ Moore, like I did this year when trading a high end running back, someone like that. You know what I mean? Like you start targeting these established receivers. So that's kind of the way I like to approach, I guess, things in general. So when it comes to the rookie drafts, I'm definitely looking for running back. And then after that, 
If it's a super flex, I'm definitely going to pay attention to the quarterback situation. Other than that, I also love rookie drafts uh, for grabbing just flyer tight ends at the end of the draft. I love taking chances on tight ends too. So that's another thing you'll see on my dynasty roster is like five, like, oh man, I've had like, I remember one, one year it was like Johnny Smith, Ian Thomas, Cahill, Warning, Foster Moreau, like all oh, just right there. <laughs> and George Kittle as the starter. But so I like me some late round tight ends, but uh, it, this year in particular, it, it's, it's tough because it, it after that group of quarterbacks and those few tight ends and Jamar Chase and Rashad, Bay, there's some few, there's a few, there's a handful of receivers, but I mean, it's just kind of blah, just kind of blah. And it gets ugly off, real fast. Yeah. <laughs> And so I'm of the opinion, if you can, when you're in these drafts, if you don't like what's there, try and trade out of it, whether it's giving up the pick entirely. If you do, in that case, try and get something for the next year Mm -hmm. or at least try and trade back. Maybe you'll find something you feel better about the value of later on, you know, a few spots later, whatever. So, you know, do what you can to try and trade out of it. Doesn't always work, obviously. Sometimes you just got to bite the bull. I had that in my first rookie draft on sleeper just recently. And I was like, I don't know what else to do, but I'm going to reach on JV and Hawkins. <laughs> like I probably could have got him in, in the next round, but I'm like, I want to make sure I get him. And there's nothing, nothing I like right here. And I'm like, so I guess I'm reaching <laughs> and nobody wanted to pick. So, it, you know, sometimes you got to do what you got to do, but I definitely think, it, you know, if you don't like what's there, try and do what you can to get out of it, you know? And there's definitely some of that. It just feels like once you get past the very beginning of the second round, it's it's pretty bad after that. <laughs> it's very much bad. so. It's... <laughs> but, uh, yeah, that's kind of my thoughts on, on everything. And um, definitely some late round guys like that I do like, and we'll get into some undrafted guys here before long, but uh, I really like some of the names you said. Um, Kylan Granson of the Colts is one of those tight ends. I'm going to be nabbing up in the later rounds. Um, I actually just in the draft I just talked about, I picked him up as my final pick uh, Granson. And so, Definitely some guys were taking a chance on later on, but it, it, the, the middle the middle rounds feel so gross. <laughs> but that's okay. That's okay. It, it's, it, it should, I say it should be better next year, but I've heard a lot of people say it's not going to be much better next year, but I don't know enough college football to say yes or no to that. And I'm taking you don't either. <laughs> I've heard a little bit about 2022, but, you know, things change. Like, I remember that this class was supposed to be supposed to be really good. And then we finally got into into the prospects. We're like, ooh, it's actually really not not quite as good at all. Like it's it got quarterbacks. Thank goodness. That's its saving grace. Right. Well, let's go ahead and move into undrafted free agents. and. The way I'm going to do this, I'm going to talk about a little bit about the guys 
that I have highlighted in my newest article that will be coming out at some point this week. Some undrafted free agents to target in Dynasty Leagues. And then I'd like you, if you want to add anything on or or whatever you want about these any of these players. And then, of course, if you have anybody you'd like to bring up, feel free to do that as well. And I begin with running back. And he won Javian Hawkins. And I only put one running back in there this year. And although I do have some interest in Puka Williams, but I just decided to put Javian Hawkins because this, this, this is my James Robinson of this year. And I do believe he will be the James Robinson of this year. Because as you mentioned previously, the dude couldn't have landed in a better spot. A team that did jack shit else for the position other than cut Ito Smith and bring in Mike Davis. And I'm sure, you know, hey, no offense, Mike Davis had a good year last year. And I'm sure he'll be decent. Not a game changer. I don't believe. And so you bring in JV and Hawkins and he's got great workout metrics. Speed score a little on the lower side, not what we like to see, but he ran a 4-5-1. That's in the 75th percentile. Agility score in the 74th percentile. And his burst score above average. This guy landed in a spot with Cadre Olison and Tony Brooks James behind Mike Davis. That's gross. And people will say, maybe they re-sign Gurley. No. No. They ain't got no fucking money, man. <laughs> they ain't got no fucking money. So I see that it's very possible very early on in camp, as with what happened in Jacksonville last year, I could see J.B. Hawkins working his way up to that number two spot. and. Should Mike Davis falter or J.B. Hawkins just play better? You never know what could happen. So this is the guy I highlighted. He's my first guy, number one. I feel like he could be this year's James Robinson, and that's how I begin, my friend. I really don't have anything to add to J.B. Hawkins. Like you nailed the, the key points there. This is a guy that's that's dynamic. Yes, a little on the small side, uh, low BMI. True, but like true. To be a satellite plus back, uh, or sorry, not a satellite plus back, but just a satellite back, and, and these involves more than passing game. That's what, for PPR leagues, we care more about that. And mm-hmm. yeah, uh, arriving in Atlanta where there's Mike Davis and nothing uh, behind him is is good. Like, and I could see the roles, like they, they moved on from Udo Smith. They, they have tried, they tried with Edo Smith to have the small satellite back. Like they clearly weren't filling it with Edo Smith. And Javion Hawkins happens to be right around that same size, a little bit smaller, but you know, it's, I think it's because they, they see that what, what Edo Smith failed to be, I think is what they envisioned Javion Hawkins being. So I could see a role for him. And yeah, like that's, all we want for our rookie running backs is opportunity. It's why we liked Jared Dokes when he got to Miami Dolphins is because there's Gaskins and nothing behind them. So it's the same thing for Hawkins. The only thing is 
Dokes got drafted late in the seventh round and Hawkins didn't. Right. That that type of draft capital difference shouldn't move the needle much for us. And I do like what you said because he is more that satellite back mold. And um, so I don't think you would have to wait for anything to happen with Mike Davis. Mike Mike Davis can just do his thing and be his normal self. And Javon Hawkins can have a role. I think you're totally right about that. So it's a great point by you. Now, I'm going to talk about wide receiver Tamarian Terry. I know some people don't like this dude. And I understand one of the comparisons, Justin Blackman. But I would also say Justin Blackman had a pretty good year once upon a time <laughs> before he started getting in lots of trouble, you know. <laughs> so I, I didn't hate Justin Blackman. And currently, if you look on his page, he's compared to Michael Gallup. Now, we got to pull this dude's fucking profile up before I forgot to do it before I started talking about him. But I know the big thing here is to begin is that the Seahawks drafted Dwayne Eskridge. But I would like to say, <clears throat> not a huge fan of Mr. Eskridge. I, I'm, there's not a lot. I'm, he was a fifth year senior and he never went over a thousand yards. And more so, it feels like just more Seahawks crap of like they didn't have a first round pick. So their very first pick of the draft, they went fucking receiver. Like, what the hell are they doing? They were just talking this offseason about how much they like Freddie Swain. I got excited. I kind of like Freddie Swain. I like him a little bit. Dwayne Eskridge, what the hell is going on here? So maybe this pans out. Maybe I'm underestimating Eskridge. If not, and they're really not that sold on Swain or anybody else that could potentially be there for their third receiver, which may not even fucking matter if they don't let Russ cook. But I think Tamarian Terry has a chance. 4 or 5, 40. 103.7 speed score. That's the 80th percentile. 70th blah 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 percentile in college yards perception 71st college dominator dude's got some things to look at and like some world beater no but I kind of like the Michael Gallup comparison obviously Michael Gallup's not doing much right now but I would like to kind of see him somewhere else and see what he can do because I do think he's a talented receiver so I kind of like that comparison uh, so that's what I got on Tamarian Terry, one of my two wide receivers that I put in the article this year. Well, no, I'll add to Mr. Terry here. It was it was a shock that he went undrafted. Um, right. I know there's some people that didn't like him, but the first thing that stood out to me was, holy crap, he played on such a bad Florida State team. People don't realize how bad it was. This was the this was the same Florida State team 
that caused people to kind of write off Cam Akers. Like, oh, he's not that good. Like, he, yeah, because yeah, Akers, they're like, oh, his yards for carries because that offensive line was like historic. I remember bad. that. Yeah. It was something like only two yards of Cam Akers, like rushing was, was actually like blocked for. Right. And, what stood out to me. So 2020 was, was a, was a rough season for him. Like he was playing through, he was playing through some injuries and it wasn't up to what he had been doing his previous two seasons and 20, 2018, 2019, right? Like his first two seasons, he redshirted and then, and then played at Florida state those first two years, he combined for 95 catches and he averaged over 20 yards per reception during those two seasons on a bad Florida state team go look at that quarterback performances during those seasons. It's remarkable that anyone had production. And, and in fact, his 2019 season, like his big season, he, he had almost 1200 yards uh, receiving. And, and in fact, the, the, the next highest receiver, like to Mary and Terry, he, he tripled, he tripled the receiving yardage of the next best receiver. Like he, he was, he was killing it. And, his target share, it, he just barely exceeded 20%. It was 21.3. So it, despite him tripling the amount of receiving yardage of the next best receiver in 2019, it wasn't that he was just this target hog. I mean, barely exceeding 20%. Like that's something that I look for for receivers to hit that milestone. But like to see that that type of just uh, – like target well not even target hog but the hog of the the receiving yards i would have expected his his target share to be like 30 percent. but it's it's because he makes every single catch count and mm. you look at his build the 6'3 207 pounds clearly a speed that's what you talked about and you see it in, in the stat sheet too just the that what he did pre-2020 it's he's got a role and his role with the Seahawks is he's probably not gonna be a starter right but like he he would be like Metcalf's direct backup like oh Metcalf mm-hmm. needs to come off the field um because you know who who knows him I want to keep him fresh because we've got this extra game like Tamarian Terry is built as like a smaller DK Metcalf that would be this vertical threat they're just going to tell him what they told Metcalf hey just go run straight and Russell Wilson will find you so mm-hmm. I could see this guy getting on the field and who knows, maybe in three, four wide receiver sets, like it's going to be Metcalf lining up on, on the outside on one side and Tamiri and Terry on the, on the other side. And then Eskridge and Lockett as like the slot guys, you, you can make a case for it. He's definitely mm-hmm. the most talented um, fantasy football player that, that wasn't drafted. It, it was shocking. And yeah, I like the Justin Blackman comp too, but, because like that just shows what he could be if Blackman could keep his head on straight. He was a monster. So Tamari and Terry with the Justin Blackman and Michael Gallup comp, I'm on board with that. Hell yes, yes, that is exactly. I I love how we're on the, the same page so much. It probably doesn't always make for the best content. Like these guys just agree with each other. But <laughs> hey, I do. I do. Yeah, Devonte Smith. Huh? <laughs> yeah, that's we true. had Devonte Smith, so that's we true. were on the opposite sides sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> that's very true. Okay, my next one, Josh Imator Bebe. More I look at this dude, I love him. I've spoke on him before. 
93rd percentile college dominator, 71st percentile college yards per reception. Played on this terrible-ass Illinois team with a shit pass game. So that can kind of explain away some of the things. But this dude has a lot to like. He ran a poor 40-yard dash. That's about the, you know, okay. And agility score was lower. But there's a lot to like. And the more I go about, because when I first thought about this, I was like, as much as I like this dude, I cannot put him on the list because of his landing spot. But then I go back to his landing spot. And I'm like, really? Okay, Marvin Jones is there now. He's getting kind of up there. Really? Is there that much competition? There's a lot of names there, a lot of receivers, a lot of bodies. Other than Chark and Chenault, is there really anybody that's impossible to beat out? I mean, for all we know, maybe even Chark or Chenault, we have no idea what Urban Meyer is going to do. Clearly, because he signed Tim fucking Tebow. So we have no idea <laughs> what, he, what he's going to do. So, you know, you kind of get a little bit of a clean slate feel once these new coaching staffs come in. So I do wonder, being a, you know, someone that was added by this team, if he's going to have a chance to really impress early on and get on this roster. And because you never know after that. Like I said, I like Chark. I like Chanel. But after that, I mean, again, how much does Marvin Jones have left? And then look at the other names on the depth chart. I mean, I, it feels like there's a chance. What say you are? Well, if, if we're going to target the undrafted guys, let's get the super athletic guys. Like right. That burst score just blows me away. I mean, he's 100th percentile, literally in his own tier with with athleticism and you look at the scouting notes uh, on the guy and everyone says the same thing it's that like his his dominance and my god he was dominant a 47.9 percent 93rd percentile college dominator it was a hundred percent due to athleticism like all the reports are he's he's a raw route runner he doesn't really like run routes he's just athletic and it's like that's awesome you can teach guys to run routes right you can't teach guys to be athletic so seeing this this player that has a a perfect um, body type for like what could be an alpha receiver 6'1", 218 pounds awesome with off the off the charts athleticism it is with undrafted guys they're all slim to begin with and their chances of being fantasy relevant I'd mm. rather roll the dice on the uber athletic guy and seeing him just get on the field make some plays with this athleticism. I mean, that kind of takes me back to Marquez Callaway, an, an undrafted guy that that he, he made a little bit of noise with the New Orleans Saints, his rookie season. And it was, it was mainly because he got the ball in his hands and you could just tell the guy was fast and had burst and could get open. Um, maybe it's the same thing with Josh. I'm going to try and pronounce his last name. Imitor Behebe. Did I get it? I don't know. I, I don't even really it. know because I'm pretty sure I say the. I'm pretty sure you just <laughs> say Bebe, but I'm pretty sure the first part I I, I say Immator, but I, I'm pretty sure even that said it. So I guess I, what I'm trying to say is I don't fucking know. 
okay. But <laughs> but with this guy here, and this is actually this is going to be a fun offense because Urban Meyer's is, is college teams and they run a spread offense and it was utilizing just freak athletes. I mean, Curtis Samuel is the first thing that comes to mind. So why can't this guy run kind of the similar routes? Like they may be like, Hey, don't run these complicated routes. Like let's, let's just get the ball in his hand and then watch that hundredth percentile burst score, like go. And then they may just tell him, Hey, run, just run in a vertical line. And with that 96 percentile catch radius, we're just going to throw the ball and see if you catch it. So he's going to be fun. Going to be rooting for him. And I think with that athleticism too, like you mentioned, the, the, the top three spots, Chark, Chenault, Marvin Jones, whatever order you have them in, those spots are locked up. So what do you, what do, you do to, to fill up backup, backup roles? You're looking for guys that play special teams or maybe guys that have athleticism. And I, I don't think he played special teams. Correct me if I'm wrong on that one, but hey, with that athleticism, maybe they start right. trying them on some on some returns. Well, and I just think the athleticism, if he if it flashes early on, you'd think they gotta at least stick him on the practice squad. Right. So but yeah, that's my guy. Throw and draft guys, that's what we want. Even to a bay day. Athleticism. Bay day. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so next i have some tight ends because I, last year i put two running backs on the list one tight end this year i went the reverse one running back because of the crap class even though i like kind of puka williams like i said i was kind of making a statement more than anything great i went with a couple of tight ends one our boy that we've talked about a couple of times before mr quentin morris <clears throat> and like some of his production breakout age Decent workout metrics, and he lands in Buffalo, which is interesting because apparently they've been a team interested in Zach or in the Zach Earth sweepstakes, which may or may not happen. He may just get cut. Who knows what the hell happens? And so you've got that situation. They don't seem to be sold on Dawson Knox. Um, I'm not entirely sure why. He hasn't been perfect, but he, he does have some good efficiency metrics and some things about his profile. His target separation was second at the position last year. So I'm not sure what it is they have entirely against Dawson Knox. And maybe there's I, not that he's special, but maybe they're looking for something more. Well, maybe just maybe they have it in Quentin Morris. So we've kind of spoken about him, as I've said. So I want to concentrate a little bit more on a one, Briley Moore, undrafted free agent of the Tennessee Titans. This fucking guy, this fucking guy. If you see his profile, 40-yard dash, 71st percentile. Speed score, 69th. First score, 90th percentile. Agility score, about average. And then a catch radius in the 68th percentile. This dude's workout metrics are great. College dominator in the 70th percentile. Same with yards per reception. Breakout age in the 85th percentile. There's so much to like about this guy. And you look and you look at his profile. He played for Northern Iowa. And if you go back and read some about this dude, man, he was like their elite weapon 
for a time. And then in 2019, he gets hurt. And then I'm not sure what happens, but he doesn't return to Northern Iowa after that. He transfers to Kansas State. And of course, that was in 2020, the COVID riddle year. So I think after he got injured at Northern Iowa, he, he kind of got off people's radar. And I think people are really missing out on something here. And I, again, this is another guy along with J.B. Hawkins. I think, how could you have found a better spot? They no longer, the Titans no longer have Jonu Smith. Their starters, Anthony fucking Ferkser. Get the fuck out of here, Ferkser. Fucking Ferkser. No. I mean, he's okay. Whatever. <laughs> but Briley Moore. Give me more of Briley Moore. I want to see more. I want to see more. And I want to learn more. But I got a good feel for him. Put him in my article. He's someone I'm excited about. Someone I'm going to try and nab wherever I can. Because the path is there if he can if he can shine in camp and he's got everything athleticism college production breakout age it's there it's there so we'll see we'll see because again perfect fucking landing spot i'm so excited about this dude well right, me too because I, I gotta add something on this one here because tennessee titans of course in the offseason they lost Corey davis and my favorite player. That's right, Corey time, Davis. Yes. Johnny Smith. Yeah. And and with them losing Johnny Smith, people go, ah, like Anthony Ferkser. And Ferkser is going to get that because he is just, he's a glorified receiver. He's a receiver posing as a tight end. Cool. But the Tennessee Titans offense utilized both Johnny Smith and Anthony Ferkser. And they, they have this just huge hole with Johnny Smith gone because there really wasn't anyone there that could fill that role. But you brought up Riley Moore and you start looking at these guys side by side, similar size. Johnny Smith is more athletic, but, but Riley Moore, he's, he's no slack in, in the athleticism department. Like right. Johnny Smith, his spark X score is 93rd percentile and, and Riley Moore is 92nd percentile spark X. And the other thing too, is you go to the best comparable comps and, John Lewis Smith's best comparable on player profiler is David Njoku. You know, David Njoku mm-hmm. with hands is how he's been described on Radio right. Underworld. And Briley Moore, his Tyler Conklin is his best comparable, but his number two is also David Njoku. Like the Briley Moore, John U. Smith, like corollary right there. Like they got their John U. Smith replacement and they didn't sign him. They didn't even draft him. They got this guy in free agency. So Briley it's Moore, crazy. I'm paying. I'm paying attention to him. He's right, definitely right. like I got to move move him into uh, up my rankings a little bit because yeah, that he's got everything you look for. That is a perfect like late round target. Yeah, yeah, I love him, love him. And I've then also I also got some guys too. Oh, sorry. Oh, I was just gonna say I did have uh, in the article I added in honorable mention Jamie Newman. He's someone else we've discussed again before. Perhaps he's someone you wanted to talk about, um, but that's. Basically, I hope I didn't give too much away. I hope everybody still goes and reads my article. Um, but that is what I got for you for the Chatters Crystal Ball on those guys this year. And let, let's hear a little bit from the March Herons Crystal Ball. What do you got for undrafted guys? Well, there, there wasn't really any quarterbacks. And you mentioned the only one that's really mm-hmm. interesting, Jamie Newman. And I saw that you got the tight ends covered. So I don't have any tight ends there, especially like Bradley Moore, very much on the same page as you. 
Excellent. I've got five guys as well, five different guys. And the number one guy I want to start with is Sage Surratt, wide receiver, Detroit Lions. It's really simple as Sage Surratt. Look at that depth chart in Detroit. <laughs> we, we talk about Amon Ross St. Brown. He is a better receiver prospect than Sage Surratt. Same time, that depth chart is wide open for anyone. Sage Surratt's best comparable player is Colorado State's Preston Williams. And we saw Preston Williams come out of nowhere a couple of years, uh, a couple of years ago with the Miami Dolphins. And it was the same thing. It was like there is nothing there in Miami. And Preston Williams happened to walk walk into uh, you know, 60 targets in eight games. He was on pace for 120 targets, right? And and you take his, his stats and you double it if he was on a 16-game pace, right? So he would have been on pace for 64 catches, just under 900 yards and six touchdowns. Like, that was on a drafted guy. Like, it's we got a greater than 0% chance that Sage Surratt in kind of a similar situation where there isn't the, the veterans there, Brashad Perriman, Tyrell Williams. These aren't guys that are locked to, you know, command – five, six-plus targets a game. Mm. There's opportunity for Sage Surratt. And also, Sage Surratt, he played 19 games in college, and he saw a whopping 179 targets. He averaged, for his career, 9.42 targets per game in college. This is a target hog. Holy crap. And he scored 15 touchdowns in those 19 games. The the dude in, in his offense... He was he was the guy, and that contributed to a 44.9% 90th percentile college dominator. Now mm. he does lack athleticism. Like that's why he's got the Preston Williams comp. Is that if you pull up his workout metrics, there's nothing there. There's absolutely mm. nothing. It's like fourth percentile speed score, but he is 6'3. He's 215 pounds. Maybe they utilize him as like in, in the slot because he doesn't have athleticism. We don't know anything about a burst in agility score, but hey, we saw it with Preston Williams a couple of years ago. This situation could be very similar for Sage Surratt. Right. Uh, the other receiver that I've got is Katie Johnson. Like, so you add Tamarian Terry, undrafted Seahawks receiver. I, I like the other undrafted Seahawks receiver, Katie Johnson, who played at a small school and his. Of his top five comps, there were three notable names. His top comp is Deontay Johnson. Remember this this player that came out of nowhere his rookie season. I was like, what the heck? Like, why is why are the Pittsburgh Steelers drafting Deontay Johnson? We knew nothing right. about him. Nothing really looked impressive about his profile. Kate Johnson is not not a very athletic guy, but he's got Peter Warwick and Stedman Bailey in his top five comps. Those were some pretty explosive players. And I remember Stedman Bailey. Yeah, Stedman Bailey, he flashed and just had the unfortunate accident there. But right. there, there were a couple of things that, that caught my attention. One you talked about, like they drafted Dwayne Eskridge in the second round. And why we, I know, and, and we both agree we like they have three draft picks. Why draft a receiver? But sometimes the team's actions tell you everything you need to know, right? And with them drafting yeah, Dwayne Eskridge. Yeah, fuck Freddie Swain. Apparently it's, it's <laughs> they they don't believe in Freddie Swain as much as they yeah that was that I think that ended up being coach speak here but you got to follow the actions of the team 
They drafted right. Dwayne Eskridge in the second round. That's a telling sign of maybe they're not so sold on the incumbent backups. Like, obviously, Metcalf and Lockett, those are going to be the two main guys. And Eskridge, based on his draft capital, should be the number three guy. But I think it's also a telling sign that all the incumbent guys there, uh, Freddie Swain, Penny Hart, John Ursula, they're they're not sold on these guys. And right. they brought in Tamari and Terry. They brought in Cade Johnson. And it's going to be competition there. What, Cade, what stands out about Cade Johnson is – in this class, you can check this out on Breakout Finder, the Breakout Finder app. He had a 67.0 dynamic score. That was the third best in the class. It was actually just four points below Kadarius Tony of, of the University of Florida. And everyone talks about how dynamic Kadarius Tony is with Kate Johnson, just not that far off in terms of the dynamic score. On top of that, in three seasons, he compiled 1,500 yards of special team yardage, primarily return yardage. And if you're going to be an undrafted guy, the way – the first thing you've got to do is you have to make the team before you do – you have any fantasy success whatsoever. And the primary way for undrafted guys is make the team on special teams. Correct. With Kay Johnson's re- Correct. return yards the- – the important thing here is their primary punt returner last year was David Moore, who of course is in Carolina. There's an opening right there for a punt returner. And I like Tamarian Terry as, as the better like overall prospect, but Kate Johnson may have the better chance of making the team because he should be able to compete and win the job as the punt returner for the Seahawks. And all it takes is you make the job on special teams and you keep practicing and you're getting better as a player boom thanks to thanks to coaching Kate Johnson may end up being the slot receiver he is strictly a slot receiver it's something Mm. I want to say the number is in his career he ran 82 percent of his snaps out of the slot that will limit some of his upside there but like he is the perfect like slot receiver And, and Tyler Lockett's not running as much of his stuff out of the slot there could be a chance for Kate Johnson to maybe even be that number three receiver, even with Dwayne Eskridge. It depends on how they utilize him, or at the very least, he ends up being the backup slot. So, love Kate Johnson. Those are my two receivers. I, I don't know. Do you have anything to add on Sage Surratt or Kate Johnson? Um, no, not at all. I do like Kate Johnson. Um, but I went with Tamarian Terry, obviously. <laughs> but uh, I do like Kay Johnson. Yeah, so I like everything you said about him uh, for sure. But yes, continue on. Certainly. And I know you provided the undrafted running back to target, JVN Hawkins. I have three running backs that are interesting for different reasons. Mm-hmm. The first one I want to talk about is Stevie Scott from the University of Indiana. He ended up signing with the New Orleans Saints. Now, obviously, the Saints have Alvin Kamara, and they still have Latavius Murray to spell Alvin Kamara. First, let's talk about Stevie Scott, the prospect. Comes in six foot, 225 pounds, has a 30.5, 58th percentile BMI. Awesome. He has size. Size is important. He should be able to hold up in the NFL. The other thing, too, is he played three seasons at Indiana. And he saw at least 18 targets in each of those seasons. So he's also involved in the passing game. 
cool. His target share actually increased each year of football, which shows like I like seeing that. I like seeing gradual improvement in things. So he topped in 2020 at 6.5% target share. That is very respectable. Like we're starting to see a guy that has the build of a three down running back. Now he doesn't really have the workout metrics for it, but you look at the production. He's actually scored 10 or more touchdowns in each of his three seasons, totaling 32 touchdowns in 31 career games. But if he's scoring touchdowns, he's getting goal line work too. So he's getting goal line work. He's getting targeted in the passing game. Those are the things we love. You know who his top comp on player profiler is? James Conner. James Conner. You like that guy. It's James Conner in a good way. James Conner didn't. He's not an athletic guy. And athleticism, we like to see it in our running backs, but like, I don't care so much about a 40-yard dash. I really don't. Like A running back's not going to run 40 yards. They're just... If they if they're able to do that, awesome. But like the Saquon Barclays are rare in this world. But for Stevie right. Scott, I see a guy that is built to handle the between the tackle uh, role, which Alvin Kamara is always. Alvin Kamara's got some strength to his game, but he's used primarily as kind of the lightning in that in that Saints backfield. Mm-hmm. And I mentioned Latavius Murray. And of course, I've got to fit my one like salary cap thing here. So Latavius Murray he's not even guaranteed a spot this year. Oh, right. I will play it safe and I'll say that they keep him, mm. but in next off season, 2022, he's a cap casualty. They can cut him and save almost three and a half million dollars. That's a lot for a backup running back. Like, right. And if Stevie Scott comes in, bust his tail is able to show, show the saints coaching staff that he can run I'm going to say his role is going to be between the tackles, be the, be the grinder there, but also he can catch those short passes as well. Like they may move on from Latavius Murray and it's not far fetched. If you look in 2020, this past season, he had a 12.4% juke rate. That was number 60 amongst running backs. And he averaged 0.85 yards created per touch. That was number 53. Latavius Murray. He's not a good running back. Like he benefited no. because the run blocking was was pretty good in New Orleans, but he's not really do anything when you give him the ball. He's he's getting exactly what is blocked for him. Latavius Murray's getting up there in age. With the Saints and the cap situation that they're at, they're they're going to have to cut costs somewhere. Why not move right. on from Latavius Murray and all the other running backs there? Uh, what is they have Dwayne Washington. They've got Ty Montgomery. These are special teams players at best. These aren't guys that are going to do anything on offense. Like the Dwayne Washington, that's how he's made his career, his five-year career in the NFL is strictly off special teams. Stevie Scott has the upside to be that eventual replacement for Latavius Murray. I moved like from – oh, you, you have anything for Stevie Scott? Nope, nope. Gotcha. I agree. Right, I got- Other than he, maybe we call him Terminator Two. Terminator Two, I like <laughs> it. James Conner. It's going to end up in Arizona, just like <laughs> Conner. But, but I got two more running backs, and they they follow the same trend. The thing I'm looking for for undrafted rookie running backs is first off size. I go to Deion Jackson of the Indianapolis Colts. Has almost similar size. 5'11", 218 pounds. That BMI is right around Stevie Scott. The 
impressive thing about Deion Jackson is not only does he have size, he has the workout metrics too. He ran a 4.47 40-yard dash. That's 87th percentile. When it's adjusted with his height and weight, it's a 109.2. It's 90th percentile speed score. So we've got a guy with good BMI. Like He can handle a workload. And 90th percentile speed score? Yes, please. On top of mm-hmm. that, he has a 71st percentile burst score. I like that stat for running backs. I like burst score because that to me is explosiveness, their ability right. to hit the holes. So Deion Jackson is so far checking a lot of boxes here. Now the question becomes like, like what, why was he undrafted? Well, the look at some of his advanced stats. He was able to catch the ball. His target share was 6.8%. That's 49th percentile. And his spark X score was a respectable 112.2. That's 54th percentile. He just didn't really, he played on a bad Duke team and he's not, he, his yards per carry was not impressive at all. Mm, No. However, I see a potential role for him in this Colts offense. And it starts by looking at the running backs ahead of him. Jonathan Taylor is clearly the starter. He's not coming to replace Jonathan Taylor. However, Jonathan Taylor wasn't the only fantasy relevant running back in a Frank Wright Reich offense. Naheem Hines was very productive because he was catching passes out of the backfield. On top of that, Marlon Mack and Jordan Wilkins are still there. And the, the three running backs that aren't Jonathan Taylor, Hines, Mack, and Wilkins, they're all free agents this year. They're not going to keep them all. They just, they can't. And in fact, Naeem Hines may have priced himself out of town. And this is where I see Deion Jackson fitting in. Deion Jackson had a 9.5% target share in 2019, his junior season. And his average target share for his career, as I mentioned, was in the 49th percentile. That's respectable. Deion Jackson also has an ability that we never really talked much about uh, about Deion Jackson. That's his returnability. He actually, in 2018, led the Duke Blue Devils with 23 kick returns for 502 yards. The reason I mentioned that is that's Naheem Hines. Naheem right. Hines is the return man. He's the running back that returns kicks. He's the running back that catches passes. I see Deion Jackson as a guy that they are going to groom to potentially replace Naheem Hines because they might not be able to afford Naheem Hines. There's a role for Deion Jackson. And I, like I think he makes the team over Jordan Wilkins too. If they if they see enough good things from Deion Jackson, like Wilkins doesn't really add much no. at, at all. So, so it's it's thinking ahead. We're trying to find these guys and get them a year ahead. Like go ahead and roster Deion Jackson. And and if Hines is gone, boom, they've got their guy that's under contract. And don't worry, like he'll he'll be involved primarily in the pass game. It's not going to do much as a runner. He's he at least has good size. But he's not much of a runner, but he could be the Heinz replacement. There you go. And, and my final guy, I, I'd be curious to see if, you, if you've heard of this guy, Garrett Groshek from yes. Nebraska. Yes. You have heard of him. Okay. He ended up signing with the Las Vegas Raiders. Now, Nebraska produced this, this running back <clears throat> called uh, Jonathan Taylor, <laughs> who, who played there. From 2017 to 2019, or Groshek's first three seasons. The impressive thing is 
Groshek had three straight seasons with 20 plus receptions that started in 2018. So while Jonathan Taylor was playing football in um, in 2018 and 2019, Groshek was still out there catching passes. He had a 12.6 percent, 88th percentile target share, including a 13.4 percent target share in 2020. Like this guy did one great thing, and that's the this 5'11", 220 pound running back was was someone they trusted in the in a passing game. Once again, yeah. a guy that has great BMI. That's what I like from undrafted running backs. He, he has the role. He'll be a pass catcher. In fact, his best comparable player is Dare Ogunbowale, the, the former, yes. former Tampa Bay Buccaneer. I don't know where he's at. I want to say he was in Jacksonville, but I. That's where he last was, but I don't yeah. know. And, and, you know, Ogunbowale had to make it on special teams, and then he ended up having a, a decent season of catching a lot of passes in the backfield. He also has some player comps of Daryl Williams and Mike Davis, Mike Davis being the most notable one. Now these, these comps aren't the flashiest names, but sometimes what I look for in comps are players that can play in the NFL today, or at least have roles. It's good to see that Garrett Groshek has three of his five top five best comparable players be guys that have made at least decent careers in the NFL. They've hung around as backups. And then Mike Davis, when he got his chance, he seized it. He had a, a massive season. Now he's in Atlanta as the starting running back. Garrett Groshek is going to catch passes. You look at the depth chart right now. Yes, Josh, Jacob, Josh Jacobs and Kenyon Drake are the two guys ahead of him on the depth chart. Behind them, there's, there isn't – the pass-catching specialists are Jalen Richard, Theo Riddick, if he's still a thing, They've got competition from Trey Ragus, who's a fellow undrafted rookie. Mm. Uh, I want to say he spent about 15 years in college is what it seems. <laughs> and, and for Garrett Groshek, I, if your main competition is Jalen Richard, that's, that is competition that he can beat. And if he doesn't, then he's nothing. You cut him. Oh, well, you move on to the next guy. But like that's, we could see Groshek making the Raiders as their third string running back that focuses primarily on, on catching passes. And with mm-hmm. 5'11, 220 pounds, like he, he's got size. And what I also left out is that when Jonathan Taylor finally left for the pros in 2020, it was Groshek that had a slight edge in carries. He led, he led the team in carries with 67. So he doesn't have a lot of mileage on him. And what he has shown is that even when there was a talented, like, I, I don't want to say generational yet, but like one, a top tier running back prospect in Jonathan Taylor ahead of him on the depth chart, he was still out there catching 20 plus catches in college as a running back. This guy's got a skill set that works in PPR leagues. Garrett Groshek, check him out. Oh, show, faux show. Dude, I love it. I, I actually remember when I was going through the list of undrafted free agents and I came across this dude. I was like, that's an interesting name. And he was in Wisconsin. I said Nebraska Let's earlier. Check him I, have offended, I have offended Wisconsin fans. Sorry, it's Wisconsin, not Nebraska. Oh, my bad. <laughs> I didn't even catch you saying. <laughs> As I was saying it, I knew it was wrong. But if my brain, it's, well, it's late here. No, that's all right. Hey. <laughs> But hey, sorry, you know I, I I make mistakes too. We just lean into that here. 
we just lean into the mistakes <laughs> transparency all the way but i i really do remember going through those because i remember the first thing i thought of when i landed on that dude's profile was hey, he's got some hair he's got some hair that guy <laughs> anyway so and i did want to say because I, d- there were a couple of guys that that you mentioned as i said that i like stevie scott being one there were some guys um because i i k johnson i i just couldn't get them all so i had to go with the guys that i felt best fit the list based on several different factors uh landing or landing spot was a big one um that's hard with receivers because there's so many receivers anyway you get to the undrafted ones most of them are going to be kind of buried on the depth chart but but it, it, I think you brought some good ones. And then I would say, I mentioned Puka a couple of times and you didn't bring him up. And I only bring him up because there's no Gio Bernard in Cincinnati. I do not give two shits about Samaj P. Ryan, I, even though the Bengals seem to be pushing him a little bit. So I wonder, could it be Trayvon Williams time? Or will it be Puka Williams time? Because I would think one of these two guys has to take it. That that role, if there's no Joe Bernard, it can't be Samaj P. Ryan, right? Not all year, maybe to begin, but it, he's not going to be the 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 two to the one-two punch with Mixon, is he? It, I mean, granted, Mixon's going to lead the backfield, but they're going to have someone to come third. You know, just like Gio's role. Is it really going to be Samaj P. Ryan? Because I, I have a hard time with that. I have a hard time with that. There's there's opportunity, Ab- absolutely. And, and Puka Williams, I guess he's the Devonte Smith of the running backs. Where when really you can, the only thing you can nitpick is you go 170 pounds for a running back. It's hard. I know. To get I know. Yeah. I, I, but, I, I, and that's the thing with it's like almost every running back past the top three. <laughs> and it's they all have flaws. And that's why I was like, you know what? I'm going to make a statement by only putting one in because I have to put J.B. Hawkins in because he's like the perfect, perfect guy to put in. The, but yes, that I, I, I love the conversation because I, I do. I, I started becoming... Um, a fan of trying to figure these guys out, the undrafted guys a few years ago, like before I was writing about him, like I had Preston Williams, I had Preston Williams on several teams and he fucking hit and it's like, hey, there you go. And so I really dig getting into the undrafted guys. So thank you for having that conversation with me. It's very fun. I very much enjoy it. And uh, I think we're good for now. We're going to go ahead and end this tea party. Been a fun show. And uh, I guess before we go, if you'd like, we didn't really mention redraft strategy. And I guess for me, the only thing I, I would say that I really do differently is I'm, I'm, I'm definitely still targeting running backs early. They just don't have to be young, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, just target the best running backs early and redraft. And then, you know, obviously wait on quarterback, wait on tight end. I'm always a big fan of if you're at a point in the draft and you, you like we discussed earlier and you just, you don't see anything you like, like running back or receiver. Don't be afraid if you, 
can't trade back or anything, don't be afraid to take a tight end or a quarterback. Because if you do take one that early, you're going to have a slight edge at the position for sure. So I'm never against doing that if you really feel like there's not anything of value there. Because that's happened to me before. And I've been like, okay, I guess I'm rolling George Kittle this year. Like, (laughs) you know, just because I'm like, I don't like any running backs or receivers right here. Let's go Kittle. So, but that's kind of, you know, I kind of follow a lot of the same things, but you got to do things slightly differently when it comes to redraft. Absolutely. And kind of the same, the same, get your running backs early and not reaching is important. Like you want to have a flexible strategy that allows you to, you know, you go into the draft going, I'm going to get my tight end late, but don't be, don't be stupid. If Kittle starts to fall, grab him. Kelsey starts to fall short, grab him, you know, be, be flexible so that you can take advantage when, you know, cause your, your drafts are going to be different from, from other drafts. So you're drafting in a home league or a work league. They're not going to value players the same way. Like be flexible is the number one thing. Don't go in with a set plan of zero running back, zero wide receiver. You know, you kind of take what the draft gives you you can adjust on the fly. Right. I love that. That was my biggest thing when I wrote about draft strategy over the past couple of months. That's what you need to do is be flexible. That's one of the most important things you can do. Sure, you want to have a good idea of what you'd like to do, but don't stick to it. You got to be able to move with the flow of the draft. That's right. The flow of the draft. Okay. Absolutely. <laughs> Thank you, everyone, for joining us. Hope you check out all of our content on playerprofiler.com. Check out our, sorry, there was a bug. Check. (laughs) (laughs) I've been trying to catch, it's a little mad. I've been trying to catch the fucker all day anyway. So check out our stuff on the Twitters at RMK Madness for me at AARonStu09 for the March Heron over there. You got the pods account at DW underscore pod. And Speaking of pods, don't forget to check out my other pod, Miscellaneous Debris, where you can find this one. And there you go. By the way, Aaron, what do you think about me getting a gold tooth? I said do it. <laughs> Get a gold. That could be maybe a Mother's Day gift to your wife, right? Like, ah, well, I I, she was the one I was talking to about it because <laughs> I, I've had, I've had, I used to have great teeth, and then like towards the end of alcohol, it totally messed them up. And between energy drinks and just bouts of depression where I didn't take care of my teeth, I've kind of developed some issues. And I know there's one right here that I know at some point I'm going to have issues with. At some point, it's coming out. It's not going to be there forever. So at some point, it's going to need replaced. And I'm thinking I'm going to roll some gold. And the wife didn't hate it. So if she doesn't hate it, I'm probably going to do it. (laughs) I'm not going to go. Because why the fuck not? Why the fuck not? I feel like it fits me. And uh, yeah, why the fuck not? We'll see. We'll see. We'll see. I just had, I just had to get your opinion. And you said, go for it. So that yes. Supportive. Let's do it. There you go. The March Heron's blessing. Okay. All right. All right. 
Let me get this music set up. We're going to get the hell out of here. It is late. I'm sure Aaron is ready for shit. I'm ready for sleep. Well, really, I'm ready for food first, if I'm, if I'm to be completely honest. Completely honest. <sighs> okay. Thank you, everybody, for joining. Next week, uh, I'm thinking we'll talk maybe a little startup draft strategy. I might put a little game together because we're likely to have a special guest. And we may have a special guest for consecutive week. We may have some guests coming down the line. That's right. Got some people interested. We'll see what happens. We'll see. Aaron's excited. Got the beer going. That's right. Because it's fun. As awesome as it is just the two of us because we flow so well, it is nice to bring someone else in. We had a lot of fun with Cody. So it'll be nice to do that again. We'll see what happens. We'll see what happens. Okay, everybody. As always. That's not the right damn music. <laughs> Great way to end the show. Yes, that's okay. We got me doing wrong stuff and blah, 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 blah. And Aaron calling Nebraska or Wisconsin, Nebraska. It's okay. This is what we do. <laughs> this is I've, why. I've offended college football fans. It's uh, That's all right. That's <laughs> no, Yeah, it's all right. This is why we're the best. Because we just have fun, man. And woman's. We just have fun. That's how it is. So now try this again. Much love to everyone. From Taryn himself. Enjoy your week. Draft well if you're in a draft. And for now. Latest.